Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast, presented exclusively on the CHOP Sports Channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Monday, March 13th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Casemiro sees red in red, City and Arsenal hold serve, and Liverpool slip again. But first, the relegation battle is bananas. Okay, we are actually going to do our housekeeping. Please like, follow, share, subscribe. Like, follow, share, subscribe. Wherever you are, YouTube, Facebook, WhatsApp, your favorite podcast player, anywhere you find things, please like, share, and subscribe to the show. And if you're new, this is a Premier League football show. We talk about Premier League soccer and how it connects to other sports, specifically in the U.S., where I'm from. Okay, let's get to it. Okay, um, first, the, premier, the, the relegation battle is insane. We're in an unprecedented era. We've got nine teams at the bottom with five points separating them. We only really know about two teams that we feel semi-certain about, and that would be Bournemouth and Southampton, who feel like relegation fodder, but only because historically they would be. But they're not in any worse shape than any other team. So it's a really fascinating thing where we have three really big teams in Leicester, West Ham, and Everton sitting down there where you're just like, they can't possibly go down. They can't possibly go down. They can't possibly go down. And yet they're there. We have leads that we really don't want to go down because we like the romance and nostalgia of it, even though they're relegation fodder. Um, and then we have other teams in this group. So let's let's see, let's go through it. Palace on 27. They haven't won a game since New Year's Eve. Wolves, who feel like they're in good better shape, they have a win and a draw in their last five, along with three losses. So four points <laughs> out of 15. We have Forest, who just have two draws, which is meh. We have Everton, who have a win have two wins and a draw, which for them is really, really good. That took them out of the relegation zone. And then we have this fundamental trust of Sean Dyche, and they have home field. Then we have Leicester, who we thought were fine. On February 11th, they won 4-1 at Tottenham. We were like, these guys are fine. Then they proceed to just lose four in a row, and we're awful in all those games. Then we have West Ham, who, underlying numbers, are the best team of this group. Their XG is plus two, which is shocking. <laughs> they should not be anywhere near here. They're more in line with Chelsea, to be frank. We have Bournemouth. Gary O'Neill has the team fighting. They just come off a win where they beat Liverpool. Leeds just had a draw. They've had four points of their last couple games, so they're playing a little better and just getting back Rodrigo. And then Southampton, who we know uh, just drew against United and beat Leicester. But they are actually in one of the better forms of the bottom group. So nobody knows what's going to happen. I think that's the key thing here. There's no way anyone knows which one of these teams that are all five points from each other from 12 down, Palace, Wolves, Forest, Everton, Leicester City, West Ham, Bournemouth, and Leeds. Nobody knows what will happen to them. We only think, uh, let's, but we only think we know. But let's go to something I like to do. I like to do the 
XG per 90 against. Based on that, the bottom three are Bournemouth, Everton, Palace. Now, Palace have points. Nottingham Forest have points as well. So Nottingham Forest, I think a lot of those are early and Wolves. I like to think about um, goalkeeping. I really don't like um, Bazuno. I really don't like Medlier for Leeds. Leeds have a really good XG against, but we know the reason for that, and that's that they were behind in nearly every game. So they fall behind two goals and then play from behind. So uh, there's another kind of nerd thing called game state, and that kind of dictates how you play. If you're winning all the time and you don't keep attacking and you sit back and defend and you have good defenders, you'll likely have a you'll underperform your XG because you don't need to attack. You're fine. So that's why Liverpool was actually always a little bit better than Manchester City. And cities is always really high because they keep on attacking. So it depends on how your team is. It XG hurts teams that defend and get leads early and then defend those leads. But if you're a high-flying team that attacks all the time, you'll actually have a higher XG than expected because you're losing all the time, but then you keep on trying to play and play and play and play. So it's a little bit tricky. It's not an exact science, but it does give us a little bit of a sense of how teams are and what you'd expect. Like West Ham, we can we know they're in bad shape. They have an XG of 33 goals, but have only scored 24. They're not scoring in front of goal. And ask any West Ham fan, they're not scoring in front of goal. There's one supreme outlier here, and it is Fulham. Fulham have a minus 11 XG with a plus one. So they're 12 goal difference. They are giving up way less than you'd expect and scoring way more than you'd expect. Their defense, it's smoke and mirrors for West Ham. And you should actually think they might not win another game for the rest of the season. Um, Just to give you a sense of what I think is going to happen, I think I've said it a million times, I think Bournemouth and Southampton and the fourth team is going to be... I think it's going to be between Leeds and Forest. I mean, I love Steve Cooper, but that team's a little bit funky. Uh, and I believe Brendan Johnson got hurt this weekend. And then Leeds, I don't know what they're trying to be, and I'm not sure they know what they're trying to be. So I'm going to go with them. Those are my two. Um, and then give a, a little lament about how great promotion and relegation are. If we look at American sports where it's all about playoffs and all about um, you know winning the title and regular seasons don't matter. We're degrading our regular seasons in nearly all American sports. In England, you have a top four race, which is really vital. It determines whether you're going to play in Europe. So it, it is an amount of status and money and all these things. So there's that top end in addition to winning the league, which is the hardest thing to do. And then at the bottom, we have this moon door trap door that gives competition at the bottom of the league so by foregoing playoffs and creating a, uh, the anxiety and importance of games we simply create the league to have jeopardy in it so that every game matters there are never any dead rubbers dead rubber being like a dead letter office there's never any games that don't matter every spot in this table from from arsenal down to southampton has a game that matters, and it's all the way through. When I think about something like the NBA, which is dying to have any games matter at all, uh, I wonder if they could just sort of ditch the playoffs and just try and make their regular season games more important. 
or incorporate them or cut their season in half or whatever. Uh, we look at to the NFL all the time, and they're following down this path as well, where they're putting more teams in playoffs and more teams so that regular seasons, even though there's only 17 games, I think they'll always be okay. But ultimately, uh, if you dilute your regular season, people start to notice, and it doesn't matter. Anyway, the relegation battle is fantastic, and I love it. And you should pay attention to pick a horse, even if you're like a, a top club teams fan, if you're a city fan or you're an Arsenal fan or whatever, pick a team at the bottom and root for them as much as you can because they're going to need you. Let's go through the scores. You ready? Here we go. The early game, Bournemouth 1, Liverpool 0, Liverpool yak it. Spurs get off to Schneid, defeat Nottingham Forest. Shocking, at home, Spurs and Nottingham Forest away, totally different thing. Leicester City 1, Chelsea 3, a big away win. My, my boy Potter getting off to Schneid. Everton on an early amazing goal by McNeil, defeat Brentford, really good for them. And the most exciting game of the day, Leeds 2, Brighton 2, Good goals all around. Brighton just only score bangers. That was fantastic. And in the snooze fest, City limit Crystal Palace to nothing, but only score one goal, one nil, a penalty to Holland on Gundogan, win one nil. On Sunday, West Ham won, Aston Villa won. West Ham, you got to do better. Fulham nil, Arsenal three. An extremely dominant performance from Arsenal. Just what Arsenal needed. Man United nil, Southampton nil. That game was bonkers. The most bonkers nil-nil you'll see. And Newcastle defeat Wolves 2-1 to bring up the week. Those were your scores. Now, let us go to the games one at a time. First, in order of importance, Liverpool lose or lose to Bournemouth 1-0 on a Philip Billing goal. He's one of my favorite players. I absolutely adore him. He's six foot seven. He runs like a deer. His hair looks like he has a sponge on it. And I just love him. Uh, I thought that Bournemouth deserved this game. And I think Gary O'Neill uh, coached his game of the season. He did not give up the farm and say, I'm just going to sit deep and wait for my team to get killed. He took it to Liverpool. He exploited the weaknesses in the midfield. And, you know, in fact, between Harvey, when Harvey Elliott and Bassett are together in the midfield, he went with the young legs. Fabinho, I watched him. He just didn't get around enough. And over time, on the break, Bournemouth did their thing. They did their thing. Um, you know, Liverpool did have five shots on target. You know, they they had their chances. I'm not to say that this was a, you know, romp. But I think Liverpool will feel like they were on top of this game, especially in the first 20 minutes where there were three or four saves. One by Salah, Nar Nunez. Um, Robertson all off the line. But then Billing got their goal, and Liverpool sort of eased off in the second half. They did get a penalty that Mo Salah missed on 69, which was probably the talking point of the day. Having watched Mo Salah a lot, I have to say, though, his run-up was off. Everything seemed off about it, and you kind of felt like he was going to miss. It was a little bit of a, a little bit of an unfair, an unfair penalty that VAR awarded. You know, a little bit of a handball that, yes, it's a handball. Yes, his arm is up. I get the sense, my anecdotal uh, feeling is the players react to bad penalties and they kind of know that it's fucked up um, and it doesn't really work. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to one player who really kicked ass in this game, and that was Dango Otara. He was dangerous. He ran like a deer. He's one of those classic, tricky, fast wingers who gets in front of the goal 
in front of the keeper and fires balls all over the place. He missed a great chance early. And that's when you kind of knew that um, Liverpool were in for something. Also, another shout-out needs to go out to uh, uh, Dominic Solanke, who was fantastic, former Liverpool player. He created a lot. He felt like he was causing lots of problems, moving into space, creating issues for others to run into. And I thought Bournemouth were were worth their goal. They they deserved this win. Uh, it probably was a draw from Liverpool's perspective. I think Klopp would admit that they just weren't at it. And here you go, Liverpool, the ultimate you know, club right now that just can't get any consistency in their performances at all. You go from having a 7-0 to having a 1-0 against Bournemouth. Just these are the breaks. This is where Liverpool is right now. They can put in really bad performances. And I think if any Liverpool fan was honest and looked back even on all their great seasons, they had a bad season in them in that they rode their luck a lot and still do to a lesser extent. Allison is by far the best keeper in the league. He saves them so many goals. Um, they get the rub of the green at home that makes them impervious. So they've been sort of hiding in plain sight some of the issues as a city fan who watched Liverpool all the time even last season when they were incredible you kind of would see them go through games where you're just like this is not good and then they'd find a way to win and get the games done and you'd kind of get this sense that the narrative was like oh Liverpool they just know how to win and I just kept thinking the whole time like they're not there if you remember um if you remember last season or the season before can't remember which preview I did with Mike. I kind of was predicting a decline in Liverpool. I just kind of saw it coming. I just thought they're old and they're not there. And it and now in this case, they're old and they're not there. And they're getting bad luck. You know, they're just not getting those cracks on goal that were going in. They've got a 9-0 and a 7-0 that are really boosting their underlying numbers. But if you take out those two games, they've really had a hard time this season in getting the luck of the green. And listen, Liverpool will be fine. I think they'll probably be in for the top four. They'll they'll squeak away in. I think they'll wake up when they kind of realize there's six games to go, and they'll just go win them all and finish in the top four. I mean, even think about the season when they did get the top four. Allison scores a goal when he comes up. I mean, there's so much luck that Liverpool lives on, uh, and they create it. I get it, but um, it is a little bit funky, and you know, it is just a weird season for them. I do want to give another shout out though. Konate is really, really good. And when Kanate and, and, and Van Dyke are there, they're really, really good. The goal, of course, came from Trent's side. He did get yanked in this game on 65. Uh, so it wasn't just me. Uh, when you're getting pulled for James Milner, you're doing something wrong. So I don't think he covered himself in glory in defense. He kind of stood around. He's still upright. He still just loses track of runners. I mean, it's not new. It's not anything that we don't know about. It's just, It's just a shame that that happens all the time. Uh, again, I want to give Bournemouth a lot of credit, you know, going back to my first segment, we really get a sense of where the relegation battle is. It is intense. It is serious. It is growing and going to be one of one for the ages. I think it's going to need 40 points. It might just need 40 points, uh, to, um, to, to get a sense of, of where things are. Um, so that's Liverpool and Bournemouth. And we go on to Manchester United, who have a nil-nil, but this is the most bananas nil-nil you'll see. 
Um, Casemiro goes off early. I got to check. Goes off early on a red. Now, this is his second red card in four games. A um, little bit weird. Didn't get any red cards in, in Real Madrid in five years, but then twice in the Premier League. I wonder if it's having to defend more, having not having Real Madrid have the uh, referees <laughs> uh, 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 fixing games for them. No, I know that's Barcelona. That's a whole nother story. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the red came early. Uh, Veghars had to come off and uh, really, you know, United had to really battle and it made this game a lot more interesting than it deserved to be. Really fun game, really up and down. Lots of crazy chances. Um, Walker Peters hit the post. A uh, lot of fun shots. A lot of, you know, I think uh, Theo Walcott went in on goal by himself. A lot of crazy stuff happened in this game. And I think any United fan would be happy with this draw. And I think Southampton fans should feel like, oh, we we missed a chance. Although they'll take their point, especially in the relegation zone. Going to Old Trafford and getting a point is massive. I mean, I'm not I'm not really killing them, but I have to have a whole hour with uh, up a down a man to be up a man for Southampton. You'd expect a little bit more, but they have a hard time scoring goals. But this game was fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I think I really like Ruben Sellas, the manager of Southampton, and I wonder if they hadn't if they didn't have the 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 uh, Nathan Jones experiment, maybe they'd be in a better spot. He looks good on the sideline. It seems to matter to him. He's engaged. He's pushing his team. Uh, he doesn't seem burned out. Um, and maybe Bazuno's getting better. He made some decent saves, although I did see him go wandering around. You feel like, you know, James Ward-Prowse will win you a game once every three or four games. He's not a great defender. You can see him not get around. People go past him often. But uh, I really like Lavia. So Southampton has something to them, too. Uh, this is more of a theme within this this uh, this episode. These relegation teams are really, really good. And you have to really, really, really be careful about playing them. They will beat you. It's not a fucking joke. They'll come after you. They'll put the hurt on you. And I think it really goes to show how good the good teams are in the Premier League, how good Arsenal has been. And we're going to go to them right now. How good Arsenal has been to be where they are. Because playing these relegation teams, every team is tough in this league. Every team is tough. And you could have sworn that Fulham at home was going to be a great chance to battle with um, Arsenal. But Arsenal put together one of their better halves of the season and just played Fulham off the park. Uh, I will say Fulham without Paulinha is not Fulham. Uh, he's actually their most important player. He's leading the league in both tackles and interceptions. And he essentially creates a one-man defense. He's the most energetic player in the Premier League. And he and and Fulham have not won in the three games he hasn't been in. But Arsenal were fantastic in this. Uh, Gabriel Early, Martinelli, and Odegaard, on, all assisted by the great and powerful Trossard, who, if you were Brighton head, you knew how good Trossard was. Uh, I didn't think that he would be starting and do, and being as important to Arsenal as he has been, but he now becomes the first player in the Premier League ever to score a hat-trick of goals and assists in the same season. If you remember the 3-3 with Brighton, where he scored three goals in um, at Anfield, which was an amazing display by him. Uh, not much from Mitrovic. He took his three shots, 
didn't really get much going. Pereira also did some good work, but ultimately this was an Arsenal game and that they needed uh, a really easy, nice win. I think I had been talking about it earlier. They needed an easy game. Uh, they needed an easy game desperately. And now the front three of Arsenal has more goals than PSG's front three. So Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli. Um, sorry. Yeah. Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli. Yeah, that's the one. Those are the three. Uh, they have 10 goals as a trio, which is amazing. It just goes to show the great work Arteta's done. Leandro Trossard, he's 28. So let's keep that in mind. Even though it's a great buy, he's not, doesn't really fit the profile of the team. He's a little bit older. Um, Zinchenko, again, also fantastic controlling these games. They just had an easy game. They just had a game that they could just do whatever they needed to do. Uh, and Arsenal, again, tick the box. They win five games in a row for the third time this season, really cruising. And aside from that little blip they had uh, a month ago, they really have been cruising. Those those um, those late game winners really help them. And yes, they only have a five point lead on City, but you do get the sense they'll be JLB champions. Of course, once they lose, the narrative will flip and they're bottling it. But while they're not bottling it, Arsenal are in really really good shape. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Fulham, to be fair. Uh, Fulham have a little sniff of Roy Hodgkin's, Roy Hodgson's uh, Crystal Palace team that got to about 35 points early and then got to 40 and then just collapsed in the second half of the season. They might be a candidate for that. It doesn't look like they're going to get to Europe. Without Paulinha, they're not really doing much. Mitrovic has been carrying injuries and not scoring. I'm not sure if... Fulham has anything left to fight for except for their own pride. Um, you know, we saw Reem, Arabayo's back in, Tosin did a good job. So we have a lot of our American friends uh, in Robinson, Jedi Robinson and, and Tim Reem playing next to each other. But yeah, I mean, Fulham had a good season. Whether they can sustain where they are, I don't know. They're the luckiest team. They're the most highest outperforming team of their XG this season. So it's very likely that they will fall down to their level. So their underlying numbers are more like a relegation zone team than a top 10 team, and Brentford are not. So I would expect Chelsea to probably pull up into eighth and Fulham to drop down into that 10th slot. I mean, they're not going to go any further than that. Fulham are already on 39. They're safe. They've already had a good season, but sometimes you 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 sort of fade in the second half. It's only a 12 games to go, so... They'll feel okay with where they are and what they're up to. So we move on to my friends in Crystal Palace and the great and powerful Manchester City. This was not a great and powerful game. This was a great and boring game. I watched it. City controlled it. Uh, the narrative around it was that City just kind of hung on. They didn't really hang on. Palace didn't come to play and didn't do anything. Uh, Palace took... No shots on target. This is the third game in a row without a shot on target. So maybe what City did isn't really a big deal. But City played four defenders across the back, four center backs, Ake, Akanji, Diaz, and Stones at right back. So they went to Palace and played four center backs as though they were you know, a relegation team. You can imagine the buildup was not as good as it could be. Um, De Bruyne didn't play at all except late in the second half. And Foden got pulled off as well. So not a lot of creativity coming from City. Uh, the moments that were good were from Jack. 
He sort of ran at the defense a few times, but didn't really get much going. Uh, yeah, uh, Holland missed two chances that earlier in the season he would have made. But, you know, City bring on Alvarez to try and get the goal. And then eventually, on a moment of smarts, um, City play the ball in quickly and early. To Gundogan, Alisi's got his back turned to him, turns and sprints towards an in-the-box Gundogan, hoping that a cutback or a pass is on, and he steps on Gundogan's foot. Penalty, bingo, bango, bongo. On comes Holland, and he dispatches it and gets very, very excited uh, for the penalty. So City take over. Um, Pep was very excited about this. This is a very grindy, grindy, grindy game. So uh, City will take it. Um, Gundogan created lots. Jack Grealish created lots. There was a lot of good stuff done. Just nothing went in. Uh, and had there been some goals that went in, we might have, you know, it might have been a much easier uh, sort of feeling. I think the best chances came from Alvarez on 60 and Holland on um on 28 they both missed shots and shot off target uh chances that they really would put away and those accounted for about half the xg they had uh 0.2 on each uh so city dominate get the win they move on and uh not really that big of a game they do have to play leipzig this is one of the balances of the of the uh champions league that is coming up as well uh that's in the balance uh leipzig are not to be trifled with, no one cuckoo, but it is at home. These are the games that City have been waiting for, and they do make me nervous, especially City's not really in the sharpest of form. They haven't been all season. This Holland thing is real. They play a little bit slower, and when he's not scoring on every second touch and being more like a normal human being, uh, you you get the sense that they, they struggle to score goals, uh, especially now that Kevin De Bruyne is – in a funk, he's a little bit in the in the doghouse with with um with Pep. It's year eight of their relationship. I'm sure it'll be fine, but there's a little bit in the press on that. Uh, the other one would be um, Palace. What is going on with Palace? I know they had about a month without Zaha. He missed all of February, but he's been back for the March games, and he's not really gotten going yet. I don't think Vieira is really doing anything. He seems to just get draws and kind of listlessly moving Palace around. You'd expect them to have a go. And after City go scored their goal, they did start trying to attack City and had good chances. You wonder what would have happened if they tried to play the whole game. I think that some of these teams that are negative or fearful and don't come after City from the start are doing themselves a disservice. You, you can see it with Bournemouth, who played against Liverpool and got after it. If you're going to lose, you just lose by four. Who cares, right? It doesn't really matter. Uh, so they took too long to get the machine going. Um, you know, after the goal, Eze and Edison Edward came on, and they did fashion some chances. They took the last two shots of the game and did have chances that I think City were worried about. Anytime Zaha got the ball and he was, you know, going one-on-one -on -one against John Stones, I'll tell you, I was scared. So um, I, I worry for City, right, for 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 Southampton, right, for palace right now they are you know listless again only three can have to go down but they're among that group of seven that are just like can you just uh pull yourself together because uh i'm i'm starting to get worried a little bit oh, a little bit a little bit worried can i get worried am i allowed uh yeah so city do tomorrow play 
Leipzig, probably the biggest game of the Champions League. Uh, and I'll, I'll give a pop round to the Champions League just to give it a little bit of a, a look-see. Uh, I know I've been getting it wrong. I've been getting the schedule wrong the whole time. Every time I talk about it, I get it wrong. But tomorrow, we do have City versus Leipzig and Inter versus Porto, uh, both poised. Um, Inter has a 1-0 lead on Porto, and City are level on a 1-1 on aggregate. Then on Wednesday, we have Napoli and Eintracht Frankfurt and Real Madrid versus Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool, Real Madrid up 5-2 on aggregate. 5-2 on aggregate. So crazy, crazy times. Uh, where else are we going? We've got more things to cover. Uh, let's let's go to where else can we go? Let's go to see our friends uh, at Chelsea. Um, Chelsea are back off the Schneid. They scored some good goals. They win three one versus Leicester City. Uh, Valt Feist gets sent off late, but the, the 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 goals in this were really really good. Chilwell's was incredible on a cross from Koulibaly, who sidestepped his defender on the on the one went side, passed it across. Chilwell fires it home, really good. Kai Havertz, just at the end of the half, was incredible. The ball from Fernandez over the top of the defense, and Havertz just nonchalantly pokes it in. And then Kovacic, which is doesn't score goals, but when he does, they're bangers. He does an outside-of-the-boot karate kick into the goal. Three goals for Chelsea, all really, really class. They were so difficult that actually Leicester won the XG battle but lost the game. <laughs> uh, Daka scored early. Um, nice to see him playing. And then, you know, they just couldn't get their goals. They couldn't get their machine going. Although, to be fair to Leicester, they did have decent chances. Again, James Madison pulling the strings, creating tons and tons of opportunities. Same with Iannaccio, both creating so much, but not really getting anything done. Danny Ward, not great in this one, uh, as he usually is. He's pretty poor. Uh, could have been at fault for the Chilwell shot. Didn't really see it coming his way. But Chelsea, we know they got past Borussia Dortmund. We know that they are moving on. We see a little green shoots of confidence growing in this team. I think it has something to do with playing the same players, which I think is good. We know Fernandez, Kovacic together is a nice group. And then Fofana and Koulibaly playing together. Cucurella playing. We've got a decent, seemingly part of this team coming together, and I think Chelsea will feel good about where they are in the Champions League. I believe the draw will be on Thursday after um, after the Wednesday games, or maybe it's Friday, so we'll know who, who gets who in these Champions League draws. But things are moving along and getting very, very interesting very, very, very quickly. Um, and then we go to our other friends in the, in the uh, relegation battle. So Leicester is one, and we have Everton versus Brentford. Brentford. Getting shut down by mighty Dyche's Everton. Uh, the goal by McNeil is incredible. Really fast on the volley. Uh, gets it done. Uh, of course, Brentford dominated this game. They The the Houdini, that is Dyche, who loses every single game uh, in XG, but then does, does somehow wins the game. Uh, incredible stuff from the great and powerful Dyche. Uh, they have a consistency now. We're always seeing the midfield of Onana, Gay, and Decore. And then we've got Michael Keane. And Tarkovsky, so many Burnley old boys. I don't even know what to do. Uh, Seamus Coleman still getting it done, the madman. And then it will be Gray and Dwight McNeil play up front. Um, 
I feel like there was some controversy here, but I don't remember what it was. I do remember uh, Ivan Tony just getting boiled over and missing a guilted chance in this one that he just never was able to put together. I'm just going to look at it. Will be missed one. Rico Henry missed one. And uh, those are the two really big ones uh, that were missed. Yeah, even Tony and Buemo, and not 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 too much to write home about in terms of getting goals. Uh, although David Raya, the goalkeeper, had a really nice shot at the end there and almost pulled it level. That would have been so Everton to blow it. But uh, you know, that's Brentford's first loss in their last twelve. They had been unbeaten in their last eleven. Lots of draws in there, but still, for Brentford to be unbeaten in eleven is incredible. And then the great and powerful Dyche goes ninety nine goes 95 minutes defending a one-goal lead. How dice is that? That is like a dicey of Daishistan, more dicey than you can dice at yourself. So uh, we're seeing the good stuff from there. I think it's interesting that Connor Cody doesn't play anymore. Uh, I thought I always thought he was a better defender than Michael Keane, but maybe you know he's better in a three. I, do, I am concerned for him. He'll probably need to leave Everton. I think he was on loan from Wolves, so we'll wonder about what happens with Connor Cody kind of player that you kind of like kind of would fit in any bottom 10 team would fit into someone like palace or forest or, or Leicester city, Leicester city and Connor Cody feels like a match made in heaven. Uh, really good player. Maybe he could fit into Tottenham, but maybe after the uh, Matt Doherty experiment, no, they're not Spurs aren't taking anyone from wolves uh, ever again. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Nottingham, about Nottingham forest and Tottenham. Uh, not great. Uh, Nottingham Forest, again, when you're on the road and you suck every single fucking time, it's just brutal. Harry Kane scores an amazing header, glances off it. It looked very simple in the moment, but then you look at it and you're like, wow, that is a really, really good header. Then Kane scores another on a peak, on a penalty uh, that... How did he get... Who, how did he, how did he, who drew the penalty? Uh, oh, Richarlison draws the foul from a pass from Harry Kane. Nice stuff. Really good from Kane. And then Sonny scores a goal deflected in uh, that Richarlison set up. Richarlison, hard done by an offside call. That was a little bit weak. And uh, Forrest get a consolation goal from Joe Worrell, who'd come on late. Yeah, for, for, for Forrest, you know, they do their thing where they run hard and he makes all five subs every game. I'm noticing that from Steve Cooper. He always uses all five, tries to run hard and defend as hard as he can, and then catch teams as they're sleeping in that transition period when his team has fresh legs and yours doesn't. That's a move that I'm watching you, Steve, uh, Steve Cooper. I know what you're up to. But uh, Forrest, you know, they, they still have that problem of, of not winning away. And not only not winning away, being awful and getting giving up goals for crazy. Now, they're 6, 8, and 12. I still think nine wins is the magic number. So that's nine more points. Nine wins and a few draws and you'll be safe. Nine wins was the number last season. Uh, this is, again, our theme of the episode, all about the relegation battle. Uh, Spurs, we know, out of everything. This is all they're playing for. And they still are hanging into their top four spot. The lucky bastards just won't go away. Uh, but it is it is amazing to see Spurs just like they won't die. They, are, they, they play terribly. They don't like their coach. Conte's miserable. And yet they still continue to play on the strength of the great and powerful um, Harry Kane, his goals and the know-how of just like, I guess we're just going to keep fighting and keep going 
and never give up and never stop. Um, and it's amazing. Uh, what we're they're almost the opposite of what we're seeing in the other side of London. West Ham won, Aston Villa won. The great and powerful um Ollie Watkins gets a goal, and West Ham kind of sputtering along, getting those draws. They really need to be getting wins <laughs> out of those games, and they're just unable to do it. Um, Said Ben Rama scored a penalty to level things up on 26. And then that was it. It didn't seem like there was much else going on in this game. You know, I, I don't know when Moyes has to go, but eventually he's going to have to go, right? I, I don't know, West Ham fans. Uh, you know, it's just one of these things where it's just like, can somebody please score for this team? Um, it's just bizarre. They can't get anything going. Danny Ings in this one plays. We see, we get a glimpse, five-minute glimpse of Maxwell Cornet. If you guys remember him from Burnley, was so fun last season. Paqueta went off, miserable, didn't shake anyone's hands, didn't look at Moyes. And, you know, yes, they want, they had a midweek game and the, they were in Greece, uh, but it's not an excuse for a team as talented as, Spur, as, as West Ham. They just are stuck and creating stuff and creating opportunities, but just not scoring goals. Again, Jared Bowen, just unable to replicate or get, he's making a lot of things happen, but it's just not enough. They don't have anyone to finish these things. Um, Danny Ings, no shots. Said Banrama took all the shots for everybody. Nine shots, a little bit greedy, scored his one, but on a penalty. He was at least trying to get shots off. Um, how Skamaka can't get a run, I don't even think he was in the lineup, uh, or he is not even playing. They always looked better with Cresswell creating stuff but now they're not even playing him. They're being defensive all the time. Uh, I'm not sure what they're supposed to do. Socek hasn't scored a goal since the War of 1812 or some battle from Bohemia, uh, where he's from, in Czechoslovakia. I don't know what West Ham is supposed to do. And then, you know, our friends from, from Villa, they're just like plugging along. You know, Ollie Watkins is their best player. He's a hard worker. I always wanted him for Arsenal. He gets his goal. He's now got six and five. Six and five? Yeah, six goals and five. Five goals in six games, excuse me. And he's really been their best player, always full of running, a very English striker, and sort of freed from the shackles of Danny Ings, freed from some of the shackles that he was on with, with other players. And now that he's sort of opened things up and Unai Emery has seen that Buendia and he work really well together, we have a really good strike partnership that we can see working together and it's really making a difference. Uh, just to give you a sense, uh, Holly Watkins is like the number one striker for interception. So he's really charging out there, making sure things happen and tackles. He's just a good, good, good uh, player who doesn't stop working. He's the type of player that is a winning player, in my opinion. So awesome stuff for him. Yeah, let's see. Holly Watkins has just got tons and tons of goals, just kicking ass. I uh, love them. I love them. I love them. So that's where those teams are. And um, I think we're getting close to the end here of the show. Just a couple of other notes that I wanted to touch on in terms of what's happening and keeping you up abreast of the world of football. Oh, I have one more game. Newcastle defeated Wolves. Uh, I did not watch this one, but it is interesting to see Isaac and Almiron back in the game. Almiron pulls this one out after... Uh, after Wolves bring it level on a deflected goal by 
Huang Hee Chen. A weird goal. God forbid Wolves score a goal from a striker. Oh, they didn't. Oh, I'm surprised. Um, but uh, yeah, tough loss for 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 Lopetegui, who's good. But it's good to see Newcastle get themselves back going and keep that top four battle going. They are four points behind Spurs or five points behind Spurs. We'll go to the table in a minute uh, just to keep that race and conversation going. Uh, I did want to talk about one thing that happened in football. Um, the most venerable show in English football history, Match of the Day, been on since 1963 on the BBC. It has historically been the only way you can watch highlights in England of any game from the 3 p.m. blackout window and is lauded as a tradition like no other. It's sort of like your uh, Boomer and TJ doing Sunday night football recap. It's that level of show, except it sort of makes stars. And Gary Lineker, uh, former England striker, Leicester, Tottenham, uh, was the all-time leader in goals before uh, Wayne Rooney. And now I'm sure Harry Kane will take over from him. Uh, for England goals, um, famously played in Barcelona, which was very cool for English players who never did that along with Mark Hughes. So he's now more famous for being the host of Match of the Day than he was as a player. But he's um, he's a, a normal level progressive on Twitter. Nothing crazy, sort of attacks the Tory government very often. There's been a controversy in the UK around taking on of migrants that are across Europe. There's tons of migrants coming from Africa, coming from East side, coming from Syria, coming from Turkey. Now that they have the earthquake, it's just a constant churn. And the English government is very Tory and very anti-immigrant, hence Brexit. Uh, and some of the language that has been used towards these immigrants, Gary Lineker sort of tweeted, it sounds like 1930s Germany. So not saying they were Nazis, but saying they were Nazis. Uh, the BBC is a government agency. It's it's the PBS, but for the National Television of England. And there was a controversy in which the BBC suspended him for the comments. Now, why would that happen? The BBC has historically held up its journalistic integrity over the years. Uh, it has been under attack for it because it, as we are, as we have in the US, everything is political. So uh, there have been a lot of political appointments within the BBC of folks that are would be considered conservative or whatever. It doesn't matter. I, I'm not going to play either side. Anyway, Gary Lineker refused to apologize. He was suspended. And in solidarity with his decision, all of the folks who work on BBC's Match of the Day as front-facing people stood with him. So, so, um, Alan Shearer, um, right. Uh, all the commentators. So match of the day was broadcast with no commentary and just 20 minute and just the seven minute highlights of the games. And so a show that normally takes an hour and a half, uh, we're only shown for, I believe 22 minutes. Uh, this is a venerable show. It's on at 10 o'clock on every Saturday and Sunday whenever their game's on. And they have the exclusive rights to show to be the highlight show of the Premier League. So that was a big controversy. It's It has since been squashed. Gary Lineker is going to be back on the air. But it would be the equivalent of, of uh, Charles Barkley um, getting kicked off the air by TNT for one uh, Thursday night basketball show. And then all of the basketball world 
sort of being in solidarity and having no Shaq, no Kenny, no Ernie, which probably would happen to be fair. But then Jen just showing the game anyway with just uh, just just highlights. Anyway, interesting stuff. Interesting difference in the way things are handled uh, in sport and solidarity. I love that about the UK. That history of supporting coal miners, that history of supporting uh, industrial action. We saw it with the Super League, how the supporters came out against it and really fought against it. So it is that as well. Uh, I do have one more thing. Oh, it's over here. San Diego Loyal, my USL team. Uh, this is my team. We just started the season. I'll give an update every week now. Uh, one nil, a very turgid game against Detroit City FC in the fog at Torreira Stadium at University of San Diego. Uh, pretty good game. We saw some new players come in, but um, San Diego Loyal. Check out USL. If you're in a USL town, look it up. All the games are on ESPN+. Plus. You want to not spend money and want to have a good time and love football locally, go see your USL. Um, they put on a great show. It's great football, and it's as good as anything you're going to see, especially if it's live. Tickets for the USL are 15 bucks, which is pretty cheap to go to a football match. And we have the the San Diego Loyal, um, the Loyal, uh, the, the Deep End, or whatever the hell we're called. Uh, they play their drums all game, and it's really enjoyable and worth going. Okay. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports channel and presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show so we can have more folks enjoy the show. And please share on Facebook and all that stuff. All right. Thanks. See you Thursday.